Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If buying a property is your ultimate goal, don't put any constraints in place or blockages that's going to stop you from getting into the market. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we speak with Smarter Property Investing's property strategist, Christine Williams to find out more about how she helps her clients build their property portfolios and out of the box way parents can help their children break into the market and some tips and tricks that you should keep in mind when it comes to investing. Assisting first-time investors, much of William's job as an investment property strategist involves planning how to build her clients' portfolios within a short time frame and looking for good investment opportunities in the current market. The thing that's happened in my space with my client is critiquing what my client, uh, what my client preferred client is and how I'm going to help them build a property portfolio instead of just thinking it's an investment property, it's actually a full strategy. And we're very much defining that this is a minimum of three to five properties over the next uh, five to ten years. Dealing with clients who are initially worried about breaking into the current property market, Williams explains how she alleviates their fears and finds opportunities in the market for them. I've come across uh, quite a lot of young people who think they can't get into the market or the parents uh, of young people that have been clients for many years are now getting me to talk to uh, their children, their adult children, about how to get into the market. And we're foregoing the thought of this is the forever house, it's actually a stepping stone. And added to that with the constraints in the uh, finance industry from how it is to borrow money today to what it was two, three, four years ago or even 12 months ago. The constraints and the restrictions that have come down uh, has decreased the amount of money that uh, people can borrow. So looking for better opportunities in the property market, of course, is all coming into play. I must admit, though, I don't have a problem with the constraints in the borrowing capacity or the financial uh, processes in, in which is happening at the moment because I really am an advocate if in today's market, even with our lowest interest rates, in today's market, if the bank says, yes, they're prepared to lend you to purchase property, I feel that it's the biggest tick ever because the constraints are so high and they're still saying, yes, it means, you know, get into the market. But in actual fact, you know, quite a few years ago, it was a lot easier to get into credit and that's where people were making mistakes. So I don't have a problem with the constraints. I'm quite happy with it. Delving into the constraints that her clients have to face when investing 
William shares the approach she takes to ensure her clients strong capital growth and return on investment straight away. Why couldn't they borrow the amount of money that perhaps they first thought that they could? Because they may have 18 months ago or two years ago, you know, did a pre-approval and X amount of money. And of course, over the last two years, their income has increased. And of course, they've naturally thought that they could borrow money. But of course, they haven't taken into consideration new constraints. And how this has affected uh, clients is that, you know, they thought they may have been able to borrow uh, X amount, you know, could have been looking at the 750 plus market, but unfortunately in today's market they could only borrow, you know, 500, 550, which sounds quite strange or quite huge even though that their income's gone up. But then what it does mean is that then we, we are looking at areas that we're specifically uh, working on capital growth with a good cash flow or a good return on investment in cash flow. And so my investors are becoming more astute and I'm becoming very, very... Uh, dedicated to strong capital growth straight away so that they get the right return on investment and bang for their buck. One strategy that Williams applies to ensure there is a return of investment involves investing in areas that aren't always considered by the everyday person. We start with the number. So when my client comes to me and we know that what their borrowing capacity is, that's where we start looking at. And I start looking at the markets that are, you know, at the... Uh, They're either in correction or they're actually uh, what we would call opportunity and it's convincing the client through research and numbers and facts, not fiction, that buying in areas that are generally not considered are going to be the next best, uh, you know, dumping capital growth. And these areas could be very much major regional areas or they could be areas whereby uh, it may have been, oh, I don't know, growing up, oh, gee, I would never live there because of, or no, I don't like the type of demographics in that area because of. But they seem to be the areas that have the right uh, land value at the moment or right entry point at the moment, and they are going to be the next biggest capital growth. Of course, it's all got to do with population. It's all got to do with um, land, and it's got to do with you know, the housing requirements at the moment. You know, we We really are in, an, in a time where we just don't have enough properties for the people that need to be housed. She adds that the property growth we see occurring in previously stigmatised areas isn't only happening in New South Wales, but Australia-wide. Definitely in Melbourne, it's happening very much the same. And, of course, it's actually happening in Queensland as well. So, And then, of course, we're, you know, we're looking at the uh, Western Australian market, which is definitely at the bottom of the uh, market at the moment, but mm, I'm still not sure about Western Australia. There's still too many things that sort of aren't ticking the boxes there, but they are at the bottom of the market again. So we need, we really do need to look in all areas, in all capital cities, and think about all the boxes that need to be ticked. Given the current market conditions and borrowing capacity, Williams also delves into what she thinks the biggest challenges people looking to break into the property market may face in the near future. I'm of the belief that the Royal Commission will be finished at the end of February next year and I'm also of the belief that the industry itself will, won't be as um, stringent after the Royal Commission does complete its findings. And I do believe that there's going to be flexibility in the sense that the finance industry is educating people today about stringent uh, borrowing constraints. 
And I think once people get on board and they adapt to that thought process, their thought process within what they can afford uh, will be changed. And uh, I suppose I'd like to talk now about young people trying to get into the market because they're trying to get into the market whereby they may not be able to borrow the amount of money where they want to get into the market. And we're having media hype that, you know, my kids will never get into the market. Parents are getting quite concerned about this. Their children will never, ever be able to afford to get into the market. And I strongly disagree with that because there are opportunities out there and there are ways of parents helping their adult children to get into the market. And two of those, I'd like to talk about a couple of clients um, where parents have done such thing, but perhaps differently to what people may have thought. Uh, you know, parents out there might be thinking, well, they you know, have to put their house up and they have to be a guarantor and all that sort of stuff. Referring to one of her younger clients, Williams shares how they were able to break into the property market with a small amount of savings and some help from her parents. So, there are a couple of ways of doing it and, and one such couple, so the couple, one part of the couple is 21 and the other person is 24, uh, one works in the defence force industry and the other person works in the medical industry and what they did, they had actually saved between the two of them um, $65,000. That's excellent. And in the last, yeah, and in the last 18 months, they've signed two contracts and they're just about ready, you know, today's September, they're just about ready to sign their third contract. What they did with their first uh, property, which was um, a one-bedroom townhouse, in the northern area of um, Melbourne, and it's only 15 k's out of Melbourne, they have signed that as a first homeowner, and they got the first homeowner's grant on that. And the, one of the parents of the couple offered a holiday home as security, so it was sort of like a family pledge with um, the ANZ Bank, and offered that as security. And they only uh, used forty thousand dollars of their sixty-five thousand. She adds how with this security and the remaining savings, they were able to attain not only a second but third property as well. The second contract that they signed was for a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house and land package in Wyndham Vale and that's um, the frame stages up on that at the moment and what they did there, that was an investment property and the one-bedroom townhouse had gone up in value that they actually secured it against the one-bedroom townhouse. And they only used another twenty thousand. Okay, so they've they've basically uh, used their sixty five thousand. Um, they've still saved, and they've got their second property. The third property that they're about to go into is in Ballarat, and it's three hundred and seventy thousand. And what they've done there is that the one bedroom townhouse has gone up in value again, and they're using that as security. So these. You know, this couple, 21 and 24, they really started off with 65000 ha- had a parent of one of the, the couple uh, help with a holiday house using his security, and they've gone into their third property. Their third property is incurring LMI, uh, Lenders Mortgage Insurance. It's costing them $7,000 uh, in Lenders Mortgage Insurance, but they're in their third property. And the properties that they bought, you know, the first one was just under 300000 the second one was just under three fifty, and the third one, as I mentioned, was 370000 So, the, So this couple is well on their way, and then they're going to just, you know, keep these three properties, and they're not going to do anything for the next three to five years. So with the parents' help, They've done that, and they're really catapulted. And it, you know, sounds like you know these are all sub four hundred thousand. But the last one was Ballarat, so the last one was regional. That worked really well. 
Considering their young age, Williams explains how exactly they're able to leverage for and service their loans. The defence force is the income is about sixty five thousand a year, and the medical industry was just under seventy thousand a year. So between the two of them, you know, one hundred and thirty, one hundred and forty thousand. They don't have any other debt. There is no car loans. There's no store cards. Um, you know, there's no credit card. Uh, with the balance that's not being paid off. So these guys were selling, uh, I beg your pardon, saving, and their parents were obviously very comfortable with them because they could see what they were doing together. And, you know, they, they've got, um, you know, a couple of careers that are doing quite well. So the pe- from the parents' perspective, you know, they were comfortable with these guys were saving and being diligent in what they were doing and they weren't uh, wasting money. But they are still having fun, you know. They tell me the different things that they do. They still go on holidays and stuff like that. So I thought that it was really relevant that the parents could see that, you know, the guys were doing what they needed to do, which is really good. She adds that much of their success also comes from the ability to ask questions when they need to and realise that their forever home doesn't necessarily have to be their first home. In the beginning, they were asking me lots and lots of questions and I realised that it's because they just didn't know and so, you know, it's quite often that they'll call me and ask me a question and they call me first before they, they do anything else and I think that's lovely. So, it's really great. So, you know, here here we are, they're in their 20s and they're definitely in the property market because they were willing to realise that this was building a property portfolio and, and they didn't have to live in their forever house and their forever house will come. It's just they've decided to you know, park their money into three properties that none of them will be their forever house, but it was a stepping stone. So with the help of the government, First Time Owners Grant, and with the help of their parents using a holiday house and security and them saving, you know, they've got three properties. It's um, not incredible. It's quite true. Asserting the importance of mindset, William shares that this concept of building your property portfolio prior to buying your forever home is one that she's teaching all her clients. And it is very much that type of mindset that I'm teaching my clients. And it's not just 20 and 30-year-olds that I'm teaching that mindset to. I'm actually teaching that to 40 and 50-year-olds as well. So it is just a different mindset. And, you know, these properties, in my opinion, I don't feel that they would need to sell them at all and they'll definitely keep them for a minimum of 20 years. But these three properties will always be tenanted because they're in the areas that, that will work for that as well. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into how one of William's clients was able to purchase her first property at the young age of 24. She had, you know, started saving some money and uh, in this instance, you know, she decided she wanted to park it into property. How when it comes to property, earning a six-figure salary doesn't guarantee you a loan if you haven't made sure your advisory teams knows the ins and the outs of your investing plans. They didn't let the accountant know that they intended to start buying property. And they came into my world about 18 months ago and what we first did was organise a broker and and we refinanced. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Invest Story. Hey podcast listeners, are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, then register your interest at propertyinveststory.com. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one and I only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, visit propertyinveststory.com. Now back to the show. 
Another one of William's clients at the young age of 24 and with the help of her parents applies an out-of-the-box strategy to purchase a property. This is a, uh, another girl, or this is a girl, she's 24, she um, works at administration. Uh, she's on uh, a, around 75000 and her parents actually, uh, she's got two siblings and her parents have got a few properties and they've put one of their investment properties up. Um, originally, they were going to put an investment property up as security, but what they decided to do in the end was that they, the parents actually took ownership on the property. So she forwent the first homeowner's grant, built a four-bedroom, two-bathroom home, uh, northern suburbs of um, Melbourne, paid just over 500000 for it. Uh, she's about to take the keys in the next week. We went and did a practical completion last week, and the key, she'll be getting the keys next week. Um, it's already worth $575,000. she has made $75,000 just in the last uh 14 months from land settlement to completion of construction. But how exactly was she able to purchase this first home? The parents took ownership on the loan. So the parents are actually on the loan and they are on the title of the property. And the parents have uh, 25% and the daughter has 75%. Now, eventually, the parents will technically on-sell that 25% to their daughter and when when they don't when the bank does not need the parents' um, income or contribution to the loan, and the parents will pay this uh, or the daughter will pay the stamp duty for that twenty five percent to be put into her name. Uh, did it sound like she should have not foregone the the first homeowner's grant? Well, in in essence, it was ten thousand dollars, and it was going to inhibit everything if it was that way, and she couldn't borrow all the money by herself anyway. So the parents. Having ownership um, was a really good way of uh, this 24-year-old to get into her property as well. Now, she is going to live there and it is not going to be her forever house, but she is living there and she intends to live there for the next three to five years with the intention of it becoming an investment property. So when we were looking at the type of property and the type of area, we were ticking the boxes to make sure it was going to be close to shops and schools and transport uh, as as well as being a very easy floor plan for any type of demographic to come in and live in this four-bedroom, two-bathroom, double-car garage property. So it was just another way of saying that, you know, this young person could get into the property market and it will be a stepping stone in the sense that there will be capital growth. She'll keep it and she will eventually, you know, purchase another property. And eventually the parents will, you know... Uh, alleviate their 25% that she'll take over and and then, of course, you know, the parents are fine. So just a different way of parents helping uh, a, a child knowing that she's got two other siblings and the parents are quite willing to do that as well. At such a young age, Williams explains the reasoning behind her client's desire to purchase a property and how exactly she ended up working with Williams and her parents to achieve her goals. Her why was she had, you know, started saving some money and uh, in this instance, you know, she decided she wanted to park it into property. She'd been doing her research and she was probably getting a bit disheartened. Uh, her parents uh, are clients of mine and have been for quite a few years and her parents uh, have purchased three investment properties. So when she was trying to do this, she was doing it by herself. She was looking at realestate.com. She was talking to, you know, friends and being very disheartened and finding out, you know, what she could borrow and it wasn't really enough to get into the type of property she wanted. It wasn't an area, it was a type of property and she did want a four-bedroom, two-bathroom home and that's what, you know, she wanted. 
And with that, the parents suggested, well, perhaps you should speak to Christine. And then we organised, I must admit, in the first instance, she wasn't really comfortable with that because she wanted to do it by herself. But after we had a conversation and we looked at what she wanted, we then started thinking about, well, how can we do this? And your parents are quite willing to assist. They did not want to do a full guarantee. That was one of the, the things the parents were quite adamant about. And so I started doing some research about, you know, um, a combination of ownership and what's that going to look like in the future? Will there be stamp duty when we release a percentage of ownership and what's that going to look like and how will that be affected? And then the type of borrowings and so forth. So when we sat down and we had a conversation to find out what she wanted to do, uh, and I did some more research and come back with, you know, three options actually. This was the one that they decided to go with and then it was a matter of finding the block of land and then working within the full borrowing capacity or or what that purchase price was going to be, making sure that uh, she still had access to pay for stamp duty and legal costs and and what have you. So it really became a plan and um, I suppose from the first meeting with her to her signing a contract ended up only being about 10 weeks. And then, as I said, you know, we were at practical completion last week and she gets the keys next week. So it did really work and parents are happy, she's happy, and now she's telling her friends. So it's, I think it's about finding out the why and what you want to do and then find out how, how we can do it. Thinking back to another client, Williams explains why individuals looking to invest in property should always take the bigger picture into account before making any other big purchase decisions. I have had another couple that I couldn't help because unfortunately, um, the guy had just gone out and signed a, a, a contract to buy a ute because he was a tradie and the girl went out and bought a, a little golf and there was $75,000 in car loans and the bank just said, no, the most we could give you on a house would be 200000 and they didn't really understand because it was so easy to get the car they really thought it was going to be so easy to get money for a house and it really has inhibited them. You know, even if they decided, you know, to sell those cars, they're not going to get what they paid for them and unfortunately, they just weren't aware how much it was going to affect them. And the point I'm trying to say there is that, you know, it's a salesperson's job to sell you an article, a car or furniture or or whatever. It's their job to sell you something. It's not their job to find out what you really want to do and what the bigger picture is. And I suppose that's where I'm a little bit different. I make sure I find out what the bigger picture is and I I give them all the constraints that may happen. You know, don't go out and buy a car if you intend to buy a property. You know, it, it may be you just have to put up with the old car that you've got at the moment or you may have to put up with public transport. If buying a property is your ultimate goal, don't put any constraints in in place or, you know, blockages that's going to stop you from getting into the market because it's easy to go into a car yard and it's easy for the salesperson to sell your car and say that there's no interest or it's 1% interest. It's really easy and you can get the loan. But of course, it really affects borrowing to, to buy property. Drawing from the experience another one of her clients have had, Williams delves into their story and the importance of planning and communication when it comes to investing different because I've been speaking about, you know, um, young adults in their 20s. This is uh, a couple and uh, they're, well, I would say that they're a lot older than that, uh, 50. They're in their 50s. And one person in the relationship is employed full-time and the other person is self-employed. They are both on six figures and 
the part about this is, is that, you know, they've got their own home, which is beautiful. There's a loan against their home uh, and they have bought a business and, as I said, one person's uh, working full-time as well. Uh, there are two car loans in this uh, mix, but as I said, they're both on six figures. Now, when the person bought the business, um, of course, they went. Uh, he went to the accountant and the accountant set up a structure uh, as in trust for asset protection and making sure that, uh, you know, the business was set up correctly for taxation purposes and so forth. When they set up the trust to for asset protection, what they didn't know or what they didn't inform the accountant, they didn't let the accountant know that they intended to start buying property. And they came into my world about 18 months ago and what we first did was organise a broker and, and we refinanced uh, We refinanced just before the person had bought the business and the broker organised a refinance and we also had um, uh, some redraw there, access for deposits to start borrowing money to invest in property. What I didn't know was that uh, the business was coming up and the accountant was putting trust in uh, for the structure to minimise tax and asset protection. She explains that at the same time the business was being set up, her client and herself were also planning to build their property portfolio. We went ahead and we found uh, two investment properties and what the investment properties, one's regional uh, and one's, um, sorry, they're both regional, beg your pardon. And the first property that we were very comfortable with, uh, that I put them into, land's not going to register until uh, late 2019, but we're very comfortable with it and we went ahead and we signed that contract based on the broker saying, yes, everything is quite fine in today's landscape. The second property was a duplex, once again uh, regional. Well, the first property was Ballarat, the second property is Geelong, and uh, it's a duplex. So... We, I, we called the broker to make sure that you know everything was okay based on the figures that we had. The broker come back and said, yes, it's okay. They've got their 20% deposit because it was already sitting in the uh, offset account. And then uh, the opportunity with two duplexes is that you're going to have two incomes. The land was registered. We knew that it was going to be a nine-month build. Uh, a duplex has phenomenal taxation deductions from depreciation perspective. So all the numbers added up and both properties were going to be neutrally geared. So they've already signed the contract for Ballarat. Land's not going to register until uh, late 2019. And, of course, this one was registered. So we go ahead and everything's, of course, subject to finance. And what we found was when the broker did the borrowing capacity and we had the figures of the new structure, unfortunately, with the notice of assessment and the new structure, the banks weren't too happy about it because the structure of the trust was only 12 months old and the banks wanted two years' worth of trust figures in this instance and their notice of assessment, which the um, accountant did, um, the in, the particular individual who was originally on a six-figure income was now on a very, very low income because a trust was taking the um, – it was distributing all the profit. And what it meant was that, unfortunately, in this instance, they couldn't gain finance. With this lost opportunity in mind, William states that the important lesson learnt here is that when dealing with property, all individuals in the advisory team should be in constant communication. Now, in another 12 months' time, when the trust shows the second lot of uh, figures, two years full financials, 
uh, it would have been a piece of cake and the borrowing capacity would have been totally fine. But unfortunately, banks' policy uh, was 12 months trust figures. They didn't want to know anything about it. They wanted to see two full years. So from the accountant's perspective, unfortunately, the clients didn't explain to the the accountant that they were going ahead and, and they were going to start building a property portfolio and that you know this pro- uh, property had come up, this opportunity had come up, which cost all, uh, dotted all the I's and cost all the T's. And as I said, it was definitely going to be a neutrally geared property from day one, in actual fact, positively cash flowed. Uh, and, but we couldn't go ahead with the opportunity because the constraint was the way that the structure had been set up. So to me, the message there is is that when you are about to invest in property, you really do need your advisory team talking to each other and being on the same page. And if the client had actually told the accountant what they were preparing to do or what they were considering to do, the accountant said they would have set it up differently. And it could have been uh, you know, changed in the future or the notice of assessment would have been done differently. So the opportunity has been missed because the advisory team, the broker, the accountant, myself and the client, uh, didn't know, uh, well, the broker and myself and the client knew what they wanted to achieve, but the client didn't voice that to their accountant and so forth. So therefore, the accountant didn't know that. So no one did anything wrong. It was just that no one was, at, at the first point, No, um, the accountant, the client should have explained to the accountant what they wanted to do and by not doing that, they've missed an opportunity and they've definitely missed the next 12 to 18 months in the market because of the structure. So the structure is correct and it is something that is going to work definitely in the future, but it inhibited the clients by 18 months in the market. So I think it's very important to, if you are self-employed and you are speaking to an accountant and or you're employed and you're setting up trusts or different entities to the asset protection and tax minimisation, I think it needs to be said that if you are wanting to invest and you are wanting to borrow money, we need to understand the bank's policy before we set up structures and then, you know, what can be changed or what are the variables and how is that going to either affect or in a negative way or in a positive way in the future. So it's very important for your advisory team to be talking to each other. That's my tip there. Explaining what occurred after and why the couple could not purchase the properties under their own names instead, Williams reaffirms how a lack of communication could ultimately mean the difference between owning property in a year compared to right now. It wasn't purchased in the trust, it was where the income was coming from. So the income is diverted into the trust, uh, sorry, the, um, the business is the trust and of course technically the business is uh, just over 12 months old, it's only got one 12 months worth of figures. And the type of trust that it has been set up in, the banks wanted to use financials on that particular type of trust. So, you know, it was woulda, shoulda, coulda in hindsight, it, you know, may have been done differently, but of course it's inhibited this opportunity. Now, it's not to say that in the future they can't because given another 12 months and we see, you know, the, the next lot of financial figures, it would be a piece of cake for these, you know, for this couple to borrow money. But at 50, 12 to 18 months in the market, can be a lot longer than if you're 25, 30 or 40 because of the age. So so it's just a lesson to be thought about or a tip to be thought about because, as I said, this couple, you know, they are really earning six figures each but because of the way that the structure has been set up because of the self-employed part, it's been a constraint. 
So it's it's really buyer beware and it's not really about, you know, reducing your tax all the time. It, it's got to be um, our notice of assessment has to be where it, where the bank is comfortable and um, knowing that your accountant knows what you want to do. So therefore, the accountant looks doesn't look at just tax minimisation and asset protection. It's more about knowing what you want to achieve. And the and and the one thing there is making sure that the accountant you know has affiliates with brokers so that they can talk about well what's the new bank policy you know are there any constraints so that they're really on top of it. I mean I certainly don't want them to be giving advice on on borrowing, but as long as they know what's happening in the marketplace. You know, they can ask questions of brokers, well, if we do set it up this way, is it going to inhibit something here? So that's why I think the advisory team should be talking to each other, definitely if you're self-employed and, you know, so we don't come across this this hurdle. And it it was a hurdle. And so, unfortunately, this couple had to walk away from that opportunity. But, uh, you know, in 12 months' time, 18 months' time, we'll be doing something else. It's just, yes, it was an excellent opportunity, something that was going to be mutually uh, cash flowed or positively cash flowed from day one, and um, but we'll find another needle in the haystack for them, I'm sure. Sharing a few other last tips on investing, Williams explains why doing your own research and concluding your own opinions is important in the property industry. I think I, I'm of a believer that you need to differentiate fact from fiction, and I think or facts from fiction, facts from opinions. And unfortunately, as humans, because we're a social group, we do listen to people's opinions. And unfortunately, sometimes those opinions are taken on board as fact. But I think the tip there is that if you do hear something and it's not from a person from within that industry, you know, do your research and find out whether or not that opinion is actually fact or whether or not it's an opinion based on their own agenda or their own experiences. And their opinion may not necessarily be what you may incur or uncover or have happened to you. So really, it's more about, you know, the three case studies that we've talked about from the get-go, you would think someone that's on six figures, it would be easy. But in actual fact, they were the ones that missed out. And yet we had, you know, um, you know, young people, you know, earning, you know, sixties and $70,000 and, and combining efforts and asking all the right questions and putting plans in place and they've been able to move forward. So, yes, my, my tip or my final tip would be distinguish fact from opinion and then make an informed decision. Having given so much helpful tips and tricks that can help any aspiring or established property investor build their portfolio, Williams explains how you can get into contact with her. Website, so www.smarterpropertyinvesting.com.au and if I may say, we've just released an online course actually for Property Investing 101 and there's over 50 videos in it whereby uh, I answer all those questions, you know, can I get a tenant, should I buy a holiday house, you know, can my kids get into the market. So, you know, that could be something that might help people find out whether or not investing in properties is something for them because it's not for everybody. I think it should be, but it's not for everybody and it's taking that set. So, yeah, website would be great or my 1300 number, 1300 736 754. Thank you to Christine Williams, our guest on this episode of Property Invest Story. If you want to learn more about Williams and her property journey, then visit our website at propertyinveststory.com. 
Also, are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to register your interest. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one and only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, text me your email address on 0499881040. Thanks for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.